Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which which our community community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to to expand expand in faith, faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because because they they anchor us in something something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us. Everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Good morning. Our scripture is from Matthew 14, 22 through 33. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but by this time the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and began beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind seized, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you again. My name is Dan Cook, and it's a pleasure to be part of this community. Uh, I hope you're not sick of me yet. Trust me, Kara Verhage is going to be preaching next week, and it'll be fantastic and a, a break from my yammering. Um, but I do want to say that I'm grateful to first. I'm grateful to Steve for giving me the opportunity to preach back-to-back weeks like this. As I grow in my seminary education, you know, it, you can spend a lot of time preparing for a single sermon and make that sermon really, really, really great, and refine it, and edit it, and practice it, and rehearse it, and do the whole thing. But that's not the life of a pastor, right? The life of a pastor is preaching God's word week in and week out. And so to have this opportunity to have to do it two times in a row uh, is one I'm grateful for. It's been an educational opportunity for me. And uh, I'm really really grateful to Steve for having the opportunity. I'm also grateful to you guys because I got a lot of good feedback after last week's sermon. That's one of those sermons where you never really know how it's going to land until you go ahead and preach it. Um, Genesis is a place where I believe that kind of sermon could have a home and could take root. And so I was grateful for the opportunity to do that. But I got a lot of good feedback off of it as well. And so uh, those of you that took the time to, to say kind words, I'm very, very grateful to you and you are a blessing to me. Thank you very much. But we've got a lot to get to this week. It's a great passage and there's a lot in there to unpack. So if you'll join me in a quick prayer, we'll get started. 
May these words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 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 So there's three themes that I want to try and draw out of this particular passage. This is one of those passages where, again, you know, we know it very well. We, we've heard the story of Jesus walking on the water a lot of times over the course of our Christian lives. But oftentimes those are the kinds of stories that we don't know as well as we think we know them. And I think there's a lot in here to digest. But like I said, there's three main themes I want to try and draw out. And those themes are solitude, courage, and faith. So let's start with solitude, shall we? Let's look at verses 22 and 23. If you have your Bibles uh, or if you have the uh, liturgy in front of you, it's printed there in the New Revised Standard Version. Verses 22 and 23 say, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. So here we have a scene where Jesus is seeking solitude. He's seeking someplace quiet to pray. And prayer oftentimes gets formalized in a way that maybe it shouldn't. A lot of times prayer is just a conversation between you and God. Sometimes that conversation can feel very one-sided. Sometimes that conversation can feel very dynamic. But Jesus is just looking a quiet pray, place to go and pray and commune with his Father. And it's actually something he does quite often and recommends for other people as well. If you look throughout the Gospels, here's just a handful of examples. In Luke 4, Jesus heads out to the wilderness before beginning his public ministry. He seeks solitude, he seeks quietness, and of course ends up battling the devil in that situation. In Mark 6, Jesus sends the twelve, his apostles, out to do their own ministry, which is, gives him some alone time. And then when they return, one of the first things he tells them is, okay, you guys go off and, and rest a little bit here. Get yourself away from the crowd because you need some time to recharge. In Luke 6, that, has, that part of that story has Jesus spending a night alone in prayer, and the next day he's going to go out and he's going to choose his 12 apostles. In Luke 22, we have the story of Jesus praying solemnly in, solemnly in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's a lot of ease, before he uh, is arrested and led to torture and death. So even the scene immediately before the one that we're looking at, which is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. The very first verse of that particular scene, which is Matthew 14, 13, says, Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. The this thing that he had heard, whatever he had heard that caused him to want to withdraw, was hearing about the murder of his mentor, John the Baptist. And so there's sort of a pattern that emerges in all of these scenes. We see Jesus spending time alone in prayer, in solitude, in quiet, either right before or right after something very big happens. And some often it's both. It's both before and after. So just in the flow of this particular portion of Matthew, you have Jesus having to spend time alone because he's grieving the loss of his mentor. Then he does the miracle of feeding the 5,000. And the first thing he's done does when he's done with that is go off by himself here in verses 22 and 23 to go pray. And following that, we have the miracle of Jesus walking on the water. So you see the kind of the pattern that develops. So what is there in that for us, right? I mean, this is Jesus working miracles. You know, we, we don't necessarily work miracles. Maybe we can, one of us someday, maybe collectively we're able to generate enough energy to work a miracle, but we're not Jesus. So what is the lesson in this for us? My fellow introverts, we should unite separately in our own homes. 
But for my fellow introverts, that time that you need to rest and recharge, that time you need to be by yourself, what you take away from this is that Jesus needed some needed that kind of time alone sometimes too. And that you should never, ever, ever let anyone make you feel guilty for taking that time for self-care. Self-care is extraordinarily important. And we're learning more and more about it as the years tick by. Self-care is crucial. And if that's what you need is time by yourself to recharge those batteries, then you get to take that. And the heck with anybody that tells you differently. Not everybody's going to understand. You have to just accept that to a degree. Not everybody's going to understand how you work, how you're wired, why you need that time alone. But that shouldn't prevent you from taking it if that's what you need. To my friends who are extroverts, I love you dearly. I don't understand you, but I love you dearly. But there's something for you here, too. Yes, you get life from socializing, and it has to be absolutely agonizing right now during a pandemic to not be able to socialize at the level that you're used to. I totally get that. Guess what? Jesus loved to socialize, too. How many scenes can you recall from the gospel where he's at a dinner party or he's at a wedding or he's at some kind of gathering? He's constantly, it seems, surrounded by people. And yet he made sure to balance it with solitude. You keep seeing these scenes interspersed where he goes off and finds some quiet time to pray. Look, nobody's battery is inexhaustible. Nobody's. And just because you get it recharged in social situations doesn't mean you don't also need to take time away some time to stop some time to rest some time to renew god created the sabbath because slowing down resting and recharging are a necessary part of creation so during this time of pandemic as you're forced to slow down maybe there's something in that for you to learn just a thought that's the solitude portion of this passage Second theme I wanted to talk about was courage. So let's take a look at verses 25 through 27. Again, they say, and, it, and early in the morning he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But, Jesus, but immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. This is another section, again, that we know too well. I talked about that a little bit earlier. We know it's Jesus, right? So we know that this person walking on the water is Jesus and he's performing a miracle and it doesn't seem so terrifying. But we need to kind of pull ourselves away from that a little bit and try to enter into the apostles' experience here. Try to think through where they were at and the mind frame that they were in, okay? First of all, it's, it's late at night. I mean, I mean late. So when it says in verse uh, 25, and early in the morning, the actual uh, Greek translation there is during the fourth watch, right? Which we don't really do watches anymore, so uh, nobody understands what fourth watch means. Fourth watch means between 3 and 6 a.m. So split the difference and call it about 4.30 a.m. So very early in the morning. Very early in the morning, you haven't really been sleeping all that well because you're on a boat. Remember, it says in, in verse uh, 24, that the boat was being battered by waves, right? So you're out in the boat on the middle of the sea. The boat's bouncing and rocking and moving all over the place. So you're not really sleeping all that well. It's about four in the morning. You're tired. You're cranky. And oh, by the way, you just had your mind blown because you watched this rabbi who you're following feed 5,000 people from a couple of loaves of bread and a handful of fish. You're not exactly in a stable mindset when suddenly you look up 
and hears somebody in the distance walking on the water. So when it says that they were terrified and they cried out in fear, that's real. That's real. Put yourself in that situation. Me? I'd need a new pair of shorts. I'm not going to lie. That would freak me out without question. That fear and that terror, very, very, very much real. But look at what Jesus says. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. There's three things I want to pull out of just that quote. You could almost do an entire sermon just on that quote. In fact, you probably could. I'm not going to do it, but I'm, I, suddenly I feel like it's a challenge to do that. But really, there's so much theologically there. It's amazing, right? Let's start with the first third of that quote. Take heart. The Greek phrase there, or Greek word, is theresete. Theresete. And that can also be rendered as take, cur <clears throat> Excuse me, take courage. Take courage. Take heart. Take courage. Okay? The last third, do not be afraid, is the Greek phrase, me phobesthe. I don't want to get too far into the weeds on the grammar of this, but the form of, the, of that Greek phrase indicates it's a call to stop an action already in progress. Action is the key word there, okay? Think about it. Is fear more of an emotion or more of an action? I'd argue it's more of an emotion, right? Fear is something that comes upon us. We don't summon it. We don't look for it. We don't seek it out. It just is suddenly there. What we do in response to that emotion, that's our action, okay? So I don't think fear is the action. I think what we do in response to the fear is an action. So when Jesus is saying, do not be afraid, I don't believe he's commanding the disciples not to feel fear. I think he's telling them not to be controlled by that fear, and that's a key, key difference. Courage which Jesus just commanded them to take, take courage, take heart, is not the absence of fear. I'm going to nerd out in a different way for you for a minute here. I'm sort of a Civil War nerd. Some of you know that, some of you don't. In fact, this entire shelf right over here, and actually down onto the shelf over here, is all Civil War texts. I read a lot of books on the Civil War. William Tecumseh Sherman was the Union's number two general during the latter half of the Civil War. And he once said, Quote, I would define true courage to be a perfect sensibility of the measure of danger and a mental willingness to endure it. I'm going to read that again. I would define true courage to be a perfect sensibility of the measure of danger and a mental willingness to endure it. See, when we feel fear, we're not being commanded to stop feeling it. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. We're reminded that Jesus is with us and that with him, we can endure fear and we can move forward beyond that fear. Take courage. Do not be afraid. Doesn't say don't feel fear. It says don't be controlled. Don't be frozen. Don't be stuck by that fear. The last thing on this quote, uh, people like Ali Lee and I kind of get some grief because we love digging into the original language stuff so much. And I, I get where not everybody's into that. Not everybody, you know, gets as nerdy about it as we do. But there are reasons that we really enjoy it. And, and in, this, in this quote from Jesus is a key example, okay? We have to remember is that the Bible didn't come to humanity in English, okay? Any English translation of the Bible is a transla translation from its original words. And in any translation of the original words, you're going to miss some things. Just... It doesn't translate one-to-one. -one. Neither Hebrew nor Greek do that in terms of getting it into English. 
So it becomes difficult. You have to make some sacrifices in how you do that. And here's an example of one of the sacrifices that got made that I wish hadn't got made. Okay. In the English, the middle part of this quote, it is I. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. That it is I. The Greek words there are egoimon, which literally translate to I am. Does that sound familiar? Jesus standing up saying I am. Steve likes to talk about hyperlinks in scripture, right? Well, there's a hyperlink right there. You click on I am and it takes you right back to Exodus 13. I'm sorry, Exodus 3:14. Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. That was with the words of God to Moses. That's the link of Jesus to God in his quote. And it doesn't survive into English. And that's a bummer. But that's why we get into these original languages. That's why they're important. That's why it's fun. There are apps out there that you can use, even if you don't want to get into huge uh, amounts of Greek syntax. There are apps out there that will tell you some of this stuff. And it's just, it's amazing, amazing stuff. All right, enough of me defending me and Allie. So the third theme that I want to pull out of this passage is the theme of faith. Let's look at verses 28 to 31. They say, Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and started walking on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? The very first sermon I ever preached was called The Problem with Certainty. And if there are a handful of themes that I feel like I was put here to talk about, faith and certainty are going to be on that list. And I think this is one of those situations where people look at verse 31 in that last portion, you have little faith, why did you doubt? And they use that to browbeat people and it shouldn't happen. And it's one of the things I get all fired up about is I want to preach against that. I want to preach against the notion that when Jesus says, you have little faith, why did you doubt? Means that doubt is bad. That Jesus is telling us that doubt is bad. Doubt is horrible. You're a bad person if you doubt. You're a bad Christian if you doubt. You don't have faith if you have doubts, if you have questions, if you have uncertainty. I don't believe that's true for a second. And it's exactly passages like this that people have twisted, I feel, from how they should be interpreted into that sort of browbeating tool. Think about it. If, if the way that we're positioning this particular quote is, oh, if you only had more faith, you wouldn't have nearly drowned, you miserable, no good, worthless failure. Is that the kind of attitude that the God who so loved the world and his creation that he entered into our human existence, lived a human life, was tortured and died for us? A God who would go to that length, would he really then sit here and say, but if you doubt even a little bit, you're going to hell? Really? Do we really believe that? I think something else is going on here. And that something else is that we should focus on the front half of verse 31 instead of focusing on the second half of verse 30, 31. The second half of verse 31 becomes clearer when we focus on the front half of verse 31. We'll drill down on that in a second, but I want to talk about Peter here because you really got to understand Peter to understand this whole thing. Peter's great. I love Peter. He's a great character. He was a great leader. He was just, he's great. He's great to talk about. Peter's a man of action. I've talked about this in previous sermons. He doesn't always think those actions through terribly clearly before he acts. 
and oftentimes his actions don't make any sense given the particularities of the context of the situation. But man, Peter is going to act, man. He's going to do something. And that's what's going on here. Remember, we just talked about how people, the, the apostles in this boat are scared out of their minds when they see this person walking across the water. But what is Peter's reaction? As soon as Jesus says, take heart, you know, have courage, it's me, don't be afraid, I am, Peter immediately flips to, well, hey, it's cool. If, if that's you, Jesus, then, then I want to try this walking on the water thing too. And he says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, if Peter was truly a man of little faith, if he was truly a man who doubted, who questioned, who, who didn't really buy in on a regular basis, would that have been his first reaction? Would his first thought have been, hey, I bet Jesus can make it so I can walk on the water too if he was a man of little faith? I don't think so. I think Peter is a man of tremendous faith. And Peter is a human being, human being who is susceptible to questions and doubts when circumstances overwhelm him. Think about the scene where he's outside the temple. Jesus has been arrested. <coughs> Peter, this man of tremendous faith, denies even knowing him because he's suddenly confronted by authorities and by people near to authorities. He's susceptible to being overwhelmed at times. That can happen to any of us, even the, the most faithful of us. So it's not that Peter's a man of little faith. So if it's not that, he, that he's that, then, then what's going on? Well, let's break down what happens here. Peter has the faith to say, if Jesus can do that, Jesus can help me to do that. Steps out of the boat and starts walking on the water, successfully walking on the water. Then it says he notices the wind. Now, if that wind was strong enough to create waves that were battering the boat, which had been said earlier in this passage, then that wind's probably strong enough to maybe knock him a little off balance. So maybe that's what happens. He gets out in the water and he's all charged up and the wind gives him a little jolt and suddenly he's looking around going, whoa, 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 what's going on? And the circumstances have him feeling a bit overwhelmed and he panics and he starts to sink. Now here's the key. What does he do when he starts to sink? He immediately cries out, Lord, save me. And what's Jesus' reaction? This is what I mean by when I said we should focus on the first half of verse 31. The first half of verse 31 is Jesus' reaction. Just read it. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him. Faith isn't perfect in any of us. Faith is not 100%, 100% of the time. Anybody who tells you that doubt is the antithesis of faith is missing the point and probably trying to sell you something. Doubt. Fear, uncertainty, those are all parts of the human condition. Faith is trusting the fundamental character of God displayed by Jesus on the cross. Faith is stepping out of the boat when it doesn't make any sense whatsoever to do so. And trusting that if things go sideways, Jesus will be there to catch you. Now that isn't a call to go out and do any kind of crazy wild thing that you want and think that Jesus is going to reach down and pull your fat out of the fryer when stuff goes sideways. That's not what it meant means. But it does mean that when you feel doubt or uncertainty, you can trust God's character. You can lift that doubt or uncertainty up to God, and she's going to be there to help you through it. 
notice how this sort of plays out, right? When Peter walks towards Jesus and then he starts to sink. Now he's moved away from the boat and then started to sink. It says Jesus catches him. But it doesn't say that Jesus then picks him up and throws him bodily back into the boat. It just says when they got into the boat. So from this point out in the sea where Jesus has caught Peter, they sometime later got into the boat. Well, what happened in between there? They had to walk back to the boat together on the water. God will help you through it when you have doubt, when you have fear, when you have uncertainty. That doesn't make you faithless. It makes you a human being. So how do we tie all this together into our own time? We're in a pandemic. You don't need me to tell you that. But the lessons that I'm just talking about in this passage apply right now. We'll start again with solitude. It is okay and it is often necessary for people to seek solitude. We're in a time where we're forced to seek solitude because being around each other means that people can get infected and spread this virus even further than it already has been. So instead of fighting against being asked to stay home, and I hope we don't have to go down into another severe lockdown, but if we do, it's all the more reason to take that time to ask yourself, what can you gain in your walk with Christ from this time of quiet? Is it merely rest and restoration? If it is, that's great. Or is it being able to spend that time reading devotionally, somehow otherwise growing in your walk with God. This is time we can use and it's being offered to us in a horrible context, but it's still a way that God brings good out of this evil. Courage. Courage isn't the absence of fear. It's the action of naming that fear and continuing on with the help of God. COVID-19 is scary. There are people out there that will tell you it's not scary or it shouldn't be scary. I'm not going to be one of those people. Saying that courage isn't saying that COVID-19 isn't scary. That's denial. That's not courage. Courage is saying, yeah, COVID-19 is scary. Now, what do I need to do to best protect myself, my family, and the people that I come into contact with on a daily basis? Courage is maintaining physical distancing. Courage is putting on a mask. That's courage. Laying down your freedoms so that you don't infect somebody else or don't get infected by somebody else. That's courage. Faith. Faith isn't being 100% free of doubt. That's ignorance. That's not faith. Faith is trusting God's character and stepping out of your comfort zone, stepping out of the boat. Faith is trusting God's character that when things go sideways, and they will go sideways, God will be there to help you through it. Things have gone colossally sideways during the pandemic. I don't know how they could go more. I don't want to say that because I'm going to jinx it. Take that back. We'll edit that out. No, we really won't. Things have gone colossally sideways. We need our faith. We need our trust in God's character to bring good out of evil now more than we ever have. Faith is trusting God's character and saying, when I get outside my comfort zone, when I step out of that boat, if circumstances start to overwhelm me, 
God will be there to help me through it. That's faith. And that's what we need in a time of pandemic. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Time and time again throughout the age. Endings are a place where life is Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions, questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscove.org.